right, good morning, good morning. How are you? Good, good to see you. I have one person wave at me. It's a super friendly crowd here today. Good to see you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> good to have you. Super Bowl Sunday, okay, i just give you one opportunity. There can't be more than 10 Bengals fans here, right? They mean 10, like 10 people? All right, like, is that all right? Now, Los Angeles is a much bigger city. I mean, is there any Rams fans? Or, I see you that, Rams fans. All right, I really don't care who wins. I'm going to watch it, and uh, we, have, we are rooting for both teams, so it's going to be a good day, and I'm already I'm trying to keep my mind off pigs in a blanket and queso. It's kind of a Super Bowl tradition at our house, keep my mind focused on the message today. So welcome, everybody, those of you watching online. We're glad to have you. I want to give you some good news. You know, a lot of people have asked me about uh, the church since, you know, COVID happened in March of 2020. Here we are, February of 2022, and a lot of churches have struggled to get back to normal, to get back to uh, their original attendance. And I just want to tell you that last Sunday, we're almost like almost 90 to 95% in attendance back before COVID hit. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for regathering. A lot of new people have joined the church in the last couple of years, and we're grateful that you're here. So we see the church regathering, and that is crucial. It's critical. It's important to have the body of Christ back together again in a room. Uh, the, these gatherings are important. They're not optional. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I've been gone the last two Sundays. Uh, two Sundays ago, I was in El Salvador meeting with some national church leaders there. I did some training, some teaching. We got to lay hands on the president of the, all of the Assemblies of God churches, about 4,000 churches across Central America, but this guy is one of those leaders. We laid hands on him, prophesied, got to pray over him, denominational leaders we got to spend time with. And then we flew to San Pedro uh, in Honduras uh, and got to speak there at the largest church in the whole nation of Honduras. It's a beautiful church there. The, the auditorium seats about 12,000 people. And no air conditioning, just the wind blowing through. It's, it, was, uh, it was amazing. And uh, on that Sunday night, I preached. And I want to just tell you this about Central American people. These are very poor people in many cases. They got on a bus, and it was a heavy rainstorm all day on Sunday in Central America. It was about 85 degrees and heavy rain the whole day. So you can imagine the, the humidity, the tropical climate, uh, which I'm not complaining about, by the way. I got to spend two days in tropical weather. But, the, uh, but they get on a bus, and many of them live about an hour away. And these are not comfortable uh, buses. These are school buses. And they will get on a bus, and the, the day before, listen to this, the day before, if you live in a certain village, they take up an offering on Saturday to pay the bus driver on Sunday. So they pay for a guy to come pick them up. They ride an hour to church. And then when they get there, there's food there for them. They eat there. And then they worship for about an hour. I mean, they worship their face off for an hour. And they would go longer. If, if, the, if the worship team stayed up there, they would worship until the worship team stopped. And then when I got up to preach, the pastor looked at me and said, these people have been on a bus for an hour to get here. You have to preach as long as they were on the bus. So we need an hour out of you. So I just want you to know we're going to be here for a while today. I'm joking. I'm going to get you out of here in plenty of time. But what, what I saw was as soon as we started preaching, they leaned in. They're hungry. There was a thirst and a hunger and a passion. And that's why I go to Central America. Let me just say this. And I'm, I'm saying this so you'll understand why I go to Central America. The Lord gave me a word many, many years ago about Central America. He said, Brady, 
He gave me the parable out of the book of Matthew about the, the foolish virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to appear and some of them ran out of oil. They had lampstands, but they ran out of oil. And the Lord said to me, Americans are good at building lampstands. Central Americans are really good at providing the oil. And when I go down there, I go down there not because I think I have something to give them. I go down there to get oil, to bring it back. And I'm back here today full of the spirit because I got to hang around a group of hungry people. So listen, I will never complain again about a little snow on the ground and staying home because I didn't feel good. These people get on a bus for an hour. They're there for two and a half or three hours and they drive home for an hour and they'll do it two or three times a week because when all you have is Jesus, the gathering of the church is not optional. So I just want to encourage you, stay hungry. Stay hungry, church. Don't let your zeal and your fervor and your passion wane in these last days. Make sure that we're a church that's hungry to be together, hungry for the presence of the Lord, and hungry to hear the word. Hungry, leaning in to hear the word of the Lord. So I want you to turn to two places today. In Revelation, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, but first we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to talk about a topic today that you may be surprised that I'm talking about on Super Bowl Sunday and tomorrow is Valentine's Day. In fact, guys, if you have forgotten that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, today's topic is very appropriate for you because you're about to stand before the judgment seat of God if you have forgotten that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So I want to talk today about the Father is a fair judge. Some of you have that white look on your face. All the blood just ran out of your face because you forgot. I see it. I'm not going to point you out. But tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and I did not forget. Thank the Lord. <laughs> the Father is a fair judge. I want you to think about the story of the Bible. And part of us talking through Father, Son, Holy Spirit is to help us recapture an imagination for the story of the Bible. And I think what I'm going to tell you today is going to help you read the Bible better. It's going to help you read the scriptures differently. Because the story of the Bible is a God, the story of a God walking with his people, attempting to rescue them. We see this with Abraham going to a land that I will show you. We see the, the people of it, God being captured and enslaved in Egypt, being led through the desert to a promised land, fighting off their enemies, establishing their holy ground. We see Christ returning and bringing Gentiles into the fold. This is a story of God trying to rescue his people. Now listen, for years I swam around in the sea of sin and despair. And I discovered all along that God had a rescue boat there for me. And about 30 plus years ago, I climbed into the rescue boat that God had been providing for me. Some of you are floundering today. Maybe you're floundering around in the sea of sin and despair today. I have good news for you. A great rescue plan has already been executed on your behalf. There is help for every life in the room today. There's not one person in the room today who is hopeless or helpless. I want you to hear that today. I really felt strongly to say that out loud. There's not one person in the room today that's beyond hope or beyond help. And the good news of the gospel is that God has already come to your rescue and he will continue to attempt to rescue you until your last breath. He's not gonna give up on the rescue mission. He's not gonna give up on you. He is going to pursue you vigilantly. 
He is going to come after you. He is coming after you. And I think we all have to admit, come on, everybody in the room, we have to admit that God's been more than patient with the human race. Anybody, everybody in the room, that you know for a fact that God's been patient with you. Would you just say amen out loud with me? Amen, right? Think about your life. I was in the middle of one of the songs this morning. I'm sitting there listening. I got my hands lifted. I'm thinking about the goodness of God, how good it is to be with the people of God, the presence of God. I'm thinking about all those good things. And then I realize how broken I am and how odd it is that a broken, flawed person, an imperfect, flawed person can come into a body like this and feel the goodness of God while also being aware of their brokenness and their flaws and their imperfections, right? Isn't that an amazing thing that you, can, that you can be aware of all of your weaknesses and all of your imperfections and at the same time enjoy the goodness of God. That's the, that's the beauty of the Christian walk. So we read a couple of weeks ago when I preached to you out of Exodus 34 that God is slow to anger, that God in his essence and his very nature is good. But it also says in Exodus 34, at the end of that passage that I read to you, that he does not leave the wicked or the unrighteous unpunished. So I want to talk to you today about what that looks like. And I want to show you two very iconic passages of scripture about the judgment of God. And I want you today at the end of this message to not be afraid of the judgment of God. Actually, the judgment of God the Father is better news than you think if you're following Christ. If you've made up your mind to walk with Jesus, the judgment of God is not as scary as you've imagined. So look at this passage, I want you to pay attention to the nuances, pay attention to the particular words that Paul uses here in Romans 14 verse 11, he says, for it is written, in other words, Paul is saying this has already been said in the scriptures in another place, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord. Now what, what he's saying here is God's making a vow. God's making a promise. He says, as I live, says the Lord, listen to this passage, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Now leave that up for a moment because I want you to notice the two body parts that he mentions here. He mentions two things. He mentions our knees and he mentions our tongue. He, he's saying that when you come before God in the final judgment seat, there are two body parts that he mentions here. He says our knees will bow. Now in the Roman Greek world, especially in the, in the age of kings and queens and monarchs, the only way to prove that you were submitted to a particular monarch or to a particular kingdom was to come before that monarch, before that king, and to bow your knee. Now we don't do that in America necessarily, but it's important to understand that when you bow, even in worship, when we bow, when we lift our hands, when we bend our knees, it is submitting ourselves to a king that is greater than ourselves. You see this happening, you might wonder why people get on their knees during worship or why at prayer meetings you might see people on their knees. It's because it's an act of contrition, submission. It's saying Christ the King is Lord over my lives. And he says your tongue will ultimately confess God. The book of James says if you can control your tongue, it's like, like controlling a ship. It's like controlling a wildfire. The final thing that comes under the Lordship of Christ when you become a Christ follower is your mouth, our words, our attitudes. He's saying, but in the final judgment, 
every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And each of us shall give account. Listen to this language in verse 12. It's very important. It says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. In other words, God's not going to come before a big crowd and say, hey, how many of you love me? And we all get to raise our hand in a crowd. No, it's one-on-one. I'm going to be in the same line as you are in, waiting to have a one-on-one epic final meeting with God. I believe the scriptures point to every human being who has ever been born standing before God, giving an account of the choices we've made in our lives. And that sounds ominous and dark, but stay with me. Now turn to Revelation chapter 20. There's another passage of scripture that talks about this final judgment that's important for us to see, and it's found in the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. And Paul, I mean, John is on an island, secluded, and he has a vision of this final judgment, and he gives us an account of this. In verse one, he says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he sees the dragon. I want you to notice here, there's not much of a tussle here, not much of a fight. There's no epic battle, the battle's already been won. There's no fighting back and forth. There's no, there's no escalation here, it's the angel seizing him. Think of you grabbing a chihuahua. You know, they, they, no human being's ever been killed by a chihuahua. Now if they ever got organized, they could be a problem. But they're not, they're very disorganized. They come at you one at a time and all you have to do is grab them, right? And they, you can seize them. This is the picture I get and I read the Bible differently than many of you. But when I see this photo, I see an angel, because chihuahuas think they're 80 pounds. They're not, they're just loud. And he reaches down and says, stop it. Be quiet. And the chihuahua's quiet. For how long is up to you. So he seizes the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. In other words, that's a pretty big sentence. Life plus 990 years. And he threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. Listen, just leave that up for a moment. Let me tell you what God's angry at. You want to know what, there is certainly a picture in the scriptures of God's anger. You know, who he's, you know who he's angry with? He's angry with the serpent for his ability to deceive the saints. He's angry at the serpent for his ability to deceive the human race. And I want you to see this. That, and he says, after that, he must be set free for a short time. Uh, verse 3, go to verse 3. And he, says, and he says, after that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, it's important to understand this final judgment in Revelation 20. Because the judgment seat of God is God's final determination to remove evil from him and us. So I've got really good news about the final judgment of God. God, in the final judgment scenes of the Bible, will finally and forever separate that which is unholy from that which is holy. Here's another way of saying it. God, in this final judgment seat, is going to judge the root of evil. And everything that's unholy will be pushed away from the God who is holy. Now keep this word at the front of your mind today, holy, the word holy. 
because we're going to talk about that and understand why that word is super important. But here's the first thing I want you to see today when we talk about this final judgment time, this time of standing before God. The first thing is clear to understand is that everyone, everyone will be judged. In fact, the Bible says in James chapter 3 that those of us who teach the scriptures will actually be judged more severely than those who don't. So before you have this ambition to preach the scriptures in front of one or two people or a thousand people or whatever, just know that when you teach the scriptures, the book of James says there's a different judgment coming to you. What you decide to do, what you choose to do, will determine the strength of the judgment next to you. So when I stand in front of you and open up these sacred scriptures, I'm not haphazard with them. I'm not sloppy with them. I've done my work, I've done my study, I've done my prayer, knowing that what I say to you matters and how you receive it and how you discern it matters. But here's the great thing, the great tragedy in that moment of judgment, the great tragedy in my opinion, is for unbelievers is not standing in judgment in front of an angry God. See, here, there's two lies being taught right now, and all the parents, grandparents in the room, you need to know that your teenagers, your millennials, your Gen Zs are all hearing this lie. There's two lies that they're being told. Lie number one is that God doesn't exist. Or, if he does exist, he's not good, he's distant and doesn't care. He's not good, he doesn't love you enough to care about you. He's not good. Those are the two things that are being permeated into the university system, into the educational system, into a lot of their social media, a lot of their music, a lot of their literature. They're being told that God doesn't exist, and if he does exist, he's not good. And the great tragedy of the final judgment is the realization that there was a God, that he truly does exist, and that he was merciful and kind, that he's good, and that he's always been pursuing you. That's the great tragedy. I believe that's what's going to break the heart of God is that I've been pursuing you. I've been calling on you. And this is why we, as the body of Christ, as the church, we have a part to play in this. We are called to be ambassadors, to be witnesses, to be a broadcast. Every one of you are broadcasters of the good news. You're carriers of his grace and you're broadcast agents of good news. Now think about if I today we have, I don't know, three or 4,000 people at New Life in this building in the nine o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. What if I said to you, I'm gonna send you out like you're an FM station today with, with 50,000 watts of broadcasting ability for the rest of this week. And your assignment is to not only be carriers of good content, but broadcasters of good content, broadcasters of grace to everywhere you go today. So that when people stumble upon you, they stumble into God. They see God because they stumbled into you this week. See, maybe God's waiting for us to broadcast the right material before he sends the right people to us. Maybe he's waiting on us to become witnesses before he gives us opportunities to witness. Are you catching this today? All right, so the invitation right now is to bow our knees every day. It's not just that one time. The invitation actually is to bow our knees every day and to constantly judge ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, take you back 20 minutes ago. 20 minutes ago. We're singing a song, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. A lot of you in this room had your hands lifted. A lot of you in this room had your eyes closed. 
You were praying that and singing that. Let me ask you a question. Did you feel near to God? Yeah, absolutely. I felt close to him. Let me ask you another question. Were you terrified? No. I felt like he was welcoming me. He was calling me. He was actually near to me. I wasn't terrified in that moment. Let me ask you a question. If you weren't terrified in the moment of prayer, if you weren't terrified by his presence in the moment of worship, what makes you think that the final judgment seat for believers will be a terrifying moment? See, every day I'm coming into the, the place where I'm going to be judged is actually a place that I've already spent a lot of time. I already have already spent a lot of time in his presence. Therefore, when I'm called into the final judgment seat of God, it's a familiar place, a place where I have come on a daily basis. And see, that's why I call you to gather here on Sundays. I call you into prayer meetings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the World Prayer Center. I call you to First Wednesdays. Why is Pastor Brady calling us into those moments? Because I want you to get intimately familiar with the presence of God, with the goodness of his closeness and his presence, so that at your final breath, when you're standing before him and you see him for the first time and you're being judged for the first time, that will not be an unfamiliar place for you to be. It is the presence of the Lord that he's calling you into now. Do you realize he's calling you into his presence? That's what he's calling you to, into relationship and communion. Psalm 100, we say this all the time. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. God has always been a God of location. God's always been a God of place. Call me to the place. Call me to the place of closeness. And the gates and the courts, the gates were out there and the courts were closer. He's actually calling you into the most holy place, into the closest place imaginable. That's why the judgment seat is not terrifying for those of us that follow the Lord, because he's calling us there every single day. Amen? All right, now, that may be terrifying to some of you, because you're wondering... What kind of judge will he be? Well, the question is, I want to show you this, okay? The Father who judges us is holy. Now, if you believe this, it's going to change the way you think about this whole thing. The word holy is important. Let me show you Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Revelation 4, verse 8, it says, The four living creatures. Now, we don't know who these are. I think they're moms. Let me tell you why, okay? Because they each had six wings and were full of eyes. They saw everything, they were everywhere. I think these are moms, okay? Let's stay with me on this because I have more proof. And they do not rest day or night. <laughs> That's just all the proof I needed right there. They see everything, they're everywhere, and they, they never rest day or night. These are not dads, these are moms. And listen to what these angels are saying. Holy, holy, come on, read it with me. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and then listen to this, who was and is and is to come. They're crying out. So here they are. These angels are in the presence of God the Father, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all there. And the only thing they can say, day and night, we sing this song, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. What is it? It's the praises of his people coming into the presence of God and all they can say is holy, 
holy, holy. He was holy. He is holy. He will be holy. He cannot change. That's what he's saying. Do you know the word holy is the most mentioned attribute in all of the Bible? Over 600 times in the Bible when, the, when God or the things of God are mentioned, it's always with the word holy. Over 600 times. Do a, good, do a word search on your own. Prove me wrong. But when you think of God or the things of God, it's always with the word holy. Now, here's, it's important to know the definition. God's holiness means that he is completely pure and perfect. In other words, he has no imperfections. He, he is pure, he is righteous, and he is just. In other words, we sing this song all the time. He's perfect in all of his ways. Now, this is important because if, if God is the final judge, if he's the one that's going to look in your life and give you an accurate report, isn't it important for us to believe that he's holy? I was talking with an attorney friend recently who's going to trial, and this guy's a seasoned attorney. And I, I was asking him about the trial. And I said, are you nervous about the trial? I, I said, what will determine if you get a good trial or not? I said, are you, are you worried about the jury? Are you worried about the evidence? Are you worried about the witnesses? He goes, no, I'm worried about the judge. He says, because if I have a good judge, I'll get a good jury. If I have a good judge, all the right evidence will be presented. If I have a good judge, the witnesses will be treated with respect. He says, it all depends on how good the judge is. Because if it's not a good judge, the evidence can be contaminated. The witnesses can be manipulated. The jury can be out of balance. But if I have a good judge, he said, I think I will have a good trial. Listen, let me tell you about your trial. This is talking, this is trial language we just read in the Bible. Let me tell you about your trial. You have not just a good judge, you have a holy judge. And everywhere in the Bible that God is mentioned, he's mentioned as holy. His name is holy. His power is holy. His temple is holy. His spirit is holy. His covenant is holy is holy. His city is holy. Even the ground that he walks on is holy. Let me keep going here for a moment. His actions are holy. His words are holy. His promises are holy. His angels are holy. His prophets are holy and his people are holy. Everywhere you see God at work, you see holy. Can somebody say amen? amen. He's holy. And that's why when we stand before him, listen, I just want to take the pressure off of you. If you've said yes to Jesus, your life is going to be judged by a holy God. And I even got better news. Because you think that, that's good enough news we should pray and go, go, go make some queso. But I'm just telling you, I got better news. <laughs> I got better news for you. Jesus has actually taken our punishment. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. I, I was with a guy one time, and he said, he told me his story. When he was 19 years old, he got into a car with a group of guys. They were making a beer run. He was 19 years old. On the way to buy beer, he realized that three other guys in the car were going to rob the liquor store. This kid had never been in trouble. He didn't know what to do. He freaked out. All these guys were older than him. 
They get to the liquor store. Sure enough, they rob the liquor store. The guy behind the counter pulls out a weapon. The owner of the liquor store pulls out a weapon. But my friend had been given a gun in the car, and in a panic, he shot and killed the guy behind the liquor store, killed him. He said, I'd never been in trouble with the police. I'd never even had a speeding ticket. Somehow I got sucked up into this thing. I'm in a car. I'm in a liquor store. I shot and killed the guy. He spends 20 plus years in the Mississippi State Penitentiary. Out of God's grace, now that's 20 years of his life, and he had a life sentence. The governor fell in love with him and just loved him and just saw the goodness, saw his repentance, saw this kid was a good kid. 20 years later, he pardoned him. Now, there's a difference between being pardoned and being paroled. When you're paroled, your sentence is complete and you are released, but you still have a record of your sins. When you are pardoned, and my friend had been pardoned by the governor, I asked him this. I said, you've been pardoned. He goes, Pastor Brady, I am pardoned. I said, what does that mean? He said, there is no record of me killing anyone. He said, I, am, I have lived every second of my life repenting of what I did. I did an awful, horrible thing, and I spent 20 years of my life in prison. And he said, I realized I deserve all the punishment that they gave me and more. But by God's grace, I have been pardoned, and I am no longer have a record of that wrong. See, a lot of you in this room have been living your life with God as if you've been paroled, but I have good news for you. You've actually been pardoned. So I'm gonna read this to you, okay? I'm gonna read this to you in case you were wondering where I get that in scripture. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 says, when you were dead in your sins, when you were guilty, all the guilty people, will you raise your hand if you've ever been guilty? Thank you, I didn't say you killed anybody, I'm just saying you're guilty of something. If you killed someone, let's come and talk about that later. But when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the Jewish people, that was the worst thing possible you could say about someone right there. God made you alive with Christ and he forgave most of your sins. Just making sure you're staying with me here, okay? This is where you need to check and balance your pastor here, okay? He actually forgave all of them. Now I can say all with a Louisiana accent, all. All your sins, I have like five syllables, okay? It's a one syllable word that I made into a four syllable word. But say it however you want, say all with me, all. Every one of them. He forgave them all. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So it's again, it's one thing to be pardoned. One thing to be paroled. But he's now talking about pardon language. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away. Where did he take it? He nailed it to the cross. Now remember, just for a moment, leave, leave verse 15 up there, but just remember what Jesus said at the cross. While the nails are in his hands, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, verse 15, the language changes here. Because remember, Paul in this particular passage is writing to Greek people. 
who understood that when a Greek king went out to war and defeated another Greek king, one of the ways that that king showed his dominance over the king that he had defeated was he would strip the king that he had defeated and march that king down the streets of his city to show that we now own those people. We now have defeated those people and they will no longer be a threat to our city ever again. And that's bloody, that's gory, but that's the language Paul's using because he's trying to prove a point. Listen to this. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. New Life Church, listen, not only does Jesus want to forgive your sins, he actually wants to pardon you so that you don't have to live with the shame and the guilt of your past choices. In fact, the reason Jesus died on a cross, listen very carefully, you may not have never heard this, of all the deaths that Jesus could have died, why did he die on a cross? Because it was the most shameful way to die. And he said to us, when you feel most ashamed about your past, just remember, I made a choice to take all of your shame upon me so that you never have to live with it ever again. I took your shame, I took your guilt, I forgave you so that you don't have to live with it ever again. I paid the price. All you have to do now is believe. Just believe. So I've got good news for you, New Life Church. Jesus is returning. Evil will be destroyed. And paradise will be restored. That's an absolute guarantee. Jesus is returning. Evil will be destroyed and paradise will be restored. And salvation is God's determination to rescue his creation and finally get his family back. And I have good news for all of you. He wants you in the family. Every one of you, all of you watching online, he wants you. He's asking for you. And you've not done anything so terrible that he won't receive you back. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I think there are two groups of people in the room today that I just feel so strongly to pray for. One is that you've been following Jesus faithfully for a long time. But you've been living like you're paroled. You've got this feeling, what, I'm still a criminal. I was still in prison. I still did that. I thank the Lord for forgiving me, but I guess I got to live with this for the rest of my life, this label that's been put on me. People call me this name, and I guess that's who I am. The enemy keeps tormenting you, telling you about yourself, things that are not true. I'm just telling you today it's not true. If you want to believe that about yourself, that's between you and, the, and yourself. But as far as Jesus is concerned, he doesn't know what you're talking about. Jesus calls you son and daughter. Jesus has chosen to adopt you into his family, and that is irrevocable, by the way. Your adoption is not dependent on your behavior today. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that our, our behavior does not determine our salvation. It's our belief that determines our salvation. And I have chosen a long time ago to believe 
and to put my hope and my trust and my confidence in Christ, in Christ alone. And I believed it took me a long time to stop living like a parolee. It did. It took me, it probably took me 10 or 15 years of following Jesus to really wrestle that. And I wrote, and I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you a book, I just wrote a book about it because I needed to write something and the book was Sons and Daughters. That book that I wrote was the, the moment where I realized I'm not a parolee. I've been pardoned, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. That's when that book came out of me and I felt I needed to write it for my own benefit. So I'm gonna pray for you today, if that's you, you've been walking with the Lord, but you can't get free from the labels. The stigma, whatever's been placed upon you, I wanna release that off of you today. And then there's just some of you, you've never heard the gospel, you've never heard the good news that you not only have you been forgiven, you've been received, and you're just ready to say yes to that. If that's true, if that gospel is true, why in the world would you not say yes to that? And there's some of you ready to say that today. I wanna to pray for you. Father, I thank you today that I'm looking at sons and daughters and I'm praying for every man and woman in the room who are living like they've been paroled instead of they've been pardoned. Father, we thank you that you're a holy judge. You're a judge that we can trust because you're perfect in all of your ways. And Father, we receive your goodness and your grace today. And we come before you today, we bend our knee and we confess with our tongue, you are Christ the Lord. Come on, just say it out loud. Confess now, you're gonna confess it at some point. Can you just say it out loud with me? Christ, you are the Lord. Christ, you are King. Christ, you are the resurrected one. Christ, you are the one who I put my hope and my trust in. And we bow before you now. We bend our knees before you now. We trust you now. If you're here today and you're ready to say yes, it's a very simple prayer. A Father in heaven, I've tried to save myself and I cannot. I need Christ. I choose today to follow Jesus with all of myself, all of my life, all of my heart. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me follow Jesus all the days of my life from this day forward. And I pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we thank the Lord for people that prayed that prayer all over the nation that prayed that prayer. Those of you in the room, thank the Lord. We're gonna sing this song. I want this song to be an anthem, a prayer. Can we just lift up our voices and thank the Lord for the truth of this song? And in just a few minutes, Pastor Daniel's gonna come and lead us to the table of the Lord. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Finding me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin I left a crimson stain. He washed in white snow. Pastor Brady said the good news of the gospel today is that the Father came to finally get his family back. What do families do? At the end of the day, they gather around the table and they look each other in the eyes and they've worked really hard and they're hungry and they're tired. And they say, look what the Lord has done. He's given us this day our daily bread. He's provided for us. He's taken care of us. Families gather around the table and eat. And here we are today. We're not coming here 
as people that have to be embarrassed. We're not coming here as people who are getting shamed by some angry father. We're here and he says, this is the meal that I've given to you. Jesus on the night he's betrayed. He took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you break that little wafer in your hand as a symbol and a sign? Jesus is for us. He said, every time you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Every time you do this, remember that you're a part of the family. And so friends, you may receive the bread. Colossians 2. God canceled the code that was written against us. Our legal indebtedness has been washed away. And Jesus on the night he's betrayed takes the cup of wine. And he says, this cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of all of your sins. Friends, today the good news is you are clean, you are forgiven, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been canceled. Can you say amen today? You may receive the cup. Now I think we need to sing, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Let's sing it again. And oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from Come on. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. If you've been pardoned, Church, will you open your hands today as we prepare to go? I want to speak the blessing of God over you. You're going out in strength. You're going out washed in his righteousness. You're going out with confidence and a clear conscience because of what Jesus has done. So today I pray, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May our God be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people, and may he grant you peace. And we pray these things today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? Beautiful day in the house of the Lord. Woody and Julia, hurry back now. We love you. We're going to miss you. So come on back. Give it up for the Woodhouses one more time. And then last thing I want to say, I want to invite our prayer team to come down. Some of you have committed your life to Jesus today, and you need someone to lay hands on you and agree with you about that. Maybe you're wanting to pray for someone who's sick. Whatever prayer needs you have, come on down and let us agree with you. And if you're new, come see us at Connect Central. Go from here today in God's grace and peace. Much love.